Nothing discussed with Karen Watanabe Choi in this conversation is meant to diagnose or treat any condition, or takes the place of talking with your own healthcare professionals. Aloha, everyone, and welcome to another episode of From Anxiety to Clarity. I'm Beth Ann Kozlovich from Sutter Health Kahimohala, and thanks for joining us. We've been on hiatus for a couple of weeks, but we're back now, and having spent a little time away and watching what's happening around our city, around our state, around our country and the world, we really have a lot to talk about today as we're just at the very edge of the holiday season. So as now we're coming into this season, we wanted to have a conversation about kids for whom this is going to be as different for, for them as, as it is for the rest of us, but perhaps because of the traditions and the way a lot of kids attach so much um, you know, a heartfelt need to having those traditions, we wanted to talk a little bit more about how we can manage to get through this holiday season and make it memorable for reasons other than the fact that it was happening during the pandemic. So please let me welcome to the conversation, Karen Watanabe Choi. She is a licensed clinical social worker in Honolulu and she specializes in children. And Karen, it's delightful to have you join us this morning. Thank you so much for making the time. Thank you for having me. It's a, it's a pleasure and an honor. So here we are, Honolulu and, and the city and county of, of Honolulu is still in tier two. The hopes for getting into tier three before Thanksgiving are being dashed as we go from day to day as we're watching cases rise above the level that they would have to be for us to be able to move into tier three. The other counties are dealing with their surges as well. And we're also watching what's happening around our country and throughout the world uh, as everyone seems to be watching this surge happen and not really sure how they're going to deal with it. So there's a lot of fear in the air. And yet here we are perched at the very edge of the holiday season. As you are now talking to a lot of families and, and children, how are you telling them or advising them to approach where we are right now? Um, well, you know, and it, it's very different for everybody, but I do find that um, I feel like kids are um, are experiencing a lot of grieving right now. Um, I, and I, I think it has to, a lot to do with schools rolling out their plans and things like that because the, they're just not able to go back to school. And I think everyone had hopes that this was going to be over by now, and that's clearly not the case. Uh, so we're definitely, you know, definitely it's, in it depends on the individual family situation, of course, but um, we're just kind of, at this point, I'm helping, encouraging families to have their kids have some level of social engagement, if possible, even if it's through Zoom, or if it is possible to do some outdoor activity. I know some teams or some clubs are coming back um, just so that the kids do have some social contact uh, because this prolonged isolation is, is really starting to take a toll on kids and adults too. Well, of course, everyone, no one has been able to deal with this kind of situation before. So there's no guidebook for any of it, but you know, especially for kids, uh, I'm thinking about the CDC report that came out just a few days ago 
saying that there was a 31% rise in ER visits for kids between the ages of 12 and 17. And that you know, these things are, are continually happening and we're watching these stats. And obviously, as we look back over our shoulder much later, the whole story will emerge about how kids are feeling the impact of this, perhaps in a very different way than, than the rest of us. So given the fact that we've got all of this happening, we don't know the end date, that causes a great deal of uncertainty. When you talk to families and kids about that uncertainty and, and the grief that you just mentioned, what are some of the ways in which they're telling you that they are experiencing both aside from the school factor? Are there other factors there too that you're seeing? Well, I think what's interesting about this situation is that it's something that's affecting all of us. Every single one of us is going through this. And I think there's something kind of scary about that, but it's also there's something comfort comforting in that knowing that the message we can send children and families is that we're gonna get the, through this together. We don't know how, we don't have the answers, we don't know when it will be over, but we'll get through this together, you know? And so, um, you know, and I think that really speaks to what, what's happening right now is that there's a lot of individual trauma um, in terms of maybe someone's lost a loved one or have ha has had someone with COVID or someone they cared about that they knew. Um, there's also individual losses of like, you know, think of all the seniors that didn't get their, the graduations they had hoped for. And even this coming year, it's looking like a lot of the seniors are not going to get much of be, even be able to be on campus this year. So they're gonna miss out on all the rituals and ceremonies they've spent their whole lives looking forward to. Um, and, and again, it's things like Nutcracker not happening, um, sports teams are not, there's no games, you know? So all the things that kids usually look forward to and are a source of stress relief and everything are, are, are put on hold at the moment. So that being said, there's this, you know, everyone's dealing with some loss on some level personally. And then there's this collective trauma of uh, reading the news and hearing about the death, you know, the, the death toll and the illness rising and the fear that creates because it's really, I'm sure kids are hearing about it or they're, they're you know, they're listening when the news is on or whatever it might be. So uh, that's, that's been a, I think that just kind of makes it an especially stressful time for, for everybody, so. It, are there some ways that you're suggesting that parents mitigate some of those fears and anxieties and uh, maybe as simple as, as don't listen to the news with your kids around? But I mean, kids are pretty, uh, you know, sponge-like and they, and they are able to glom onto pieces of information and hear bits so that they put together stories that not, aren't not necessarily accurate in their heads, but they still feel like they're trying to get some handle on all of this like the rest of us are. Are, are, there, are there some tips that you are giving parents in helping their kids when they're being exposed to all of this, however wittingly or not? Sure, yeah, I know. And I think what's important is that, <clears throat> excuse me, we all need to, as parents, we need to kind of keep a tab on how our kids are doing, you know, really attuned to their mental health. And, and that may ebb and flow depending on what's happening. Um, I know, you know, some kids are really starting to burn out of the online on the online learning. And so that's um, coming up for a lot of kids. So depending on where they're at and what we think their capacity for um, information is, 
you know, the hard information that's coming out right now. Um, I think we can do, a, it's a balance of protecting, you know, and, and maybe shielding them for some, with some of the information, like answering their questions, but maybe if the kid you think is a little fragile, maybe we'll just give a very vague, you know, synopsis of the inf their question and answer their question. And then, but then also, again, the reassurance is we'll get through this together. Um, and I and and what I'm what I'm kind of coming to just in my own process and what I'm seeing with the families I'm working with is that as we see this going, this pandemic continuing with no end in sight, no predicted end in sight, we really need to start making adjustments, you know, in how we live so that uh, because this may be a change of lifestyle, we may not go back to the way of living that we knew, you know, before this all, before the spring, right? So that being said, I, you know, I think it can be very good to empower children with what they can do, you know, you know, like, well, you know, we can't control what other people do, but we can control what we do. And wear a mask, wash your hands in public, you know, follow the recommendations that, are being given out that will help us protect us. And I think that's just can be very empowering for kids to know um, because otherwise they have no control. But that is one thing they do have control over is how they engage when they're around other people and things like that. And making choices that feel right for them you know, and giving them options around that I think is helpful also. You mentioned adjustments in living. What other adjustments are you seeing that's we might feel our, our, our adjustments worth keeping as we go forward that might make this a time of a real seminal change. Mm -hmm. Well, well, and I know since the holidays are approaching and, and even just, uh, you know, Halloween, I know that was such a, uh, a disappointment for kids when they were realizing that they weren't going to be, you know, even though I know that it, it wasn't, it wasn't, it was allowed, but not encouraged, you know? So, a lot, and a lot of, it sounds like a lot of families made the choice not to go trick-or-treating. Um, and so that was just such a sense of loss for kids. Uh, but what, I, what, what I've been really impressed with when I've um, heard about the ways that people are celebrating their children's birthdays, or, you know, even for graduation season, they did the drive-by lay giving. Uh, and I think it's been so amazing to see how creative uh, people have been around, well, we can't do what we used to do, but we can do this. And uh, it's been just, it's been really lovely to watch communities come together, uh, neighborhoods come together to come up with ways uh, to make holidays meaningful for kids, even, even though maybe it's not going to be exactly the way we've done it all these years. It really is an opportunity to create some new traditions and, and develop new ways of moving forward with those wonderful creative ways that we've seen people cope with very changed circumstances and yet want to celebrate too, there seems to be this underlying feeling that, well, this is okay for now, but at some time we'll go back to the way things were. And then there seems to be this other idea that says, well, maybe the way things were might not have been the healthiest of situations, particularly with the way that we all seem to you want to you know, share food, you know, be with each other, hug, handshake, all of those things. And yet we are animals that, that crave that kind of physical or that physicality with each other, um, but not necessarily to have to share food the way that we were doing or to be in the kind of extremely close contact with so many people, always greeting someone with a kiss, whether you know them or not, 
uh, lots of little things like that that might be tweaked. Do you think that that might change for us in Hawaii as that's been so much a part of our, our lives and culture for so long? Is that something you think might change for our kids? That, <clears throat> that's a really tough one. You know, I mean, I would hate to see that we could never shake hands or, you know, give each other kisses on the cheek or hugs again. Um, but at this, you know, keeping in mind that we are incredibly social animals and we need contact with other people. Um, so I'm hoping that, um, you know, we can eventually return to having some close proximity with people because it is so, so important for our mental development and emotional development. And, and just, it's such a source of support and uh, for all of us to have contact with other people. That being said, I also have been hearing from families that they're, uh, you know, like they kind of like the slower pace of life. You know, I've heard families say, maybe, you know, their kid was involved in several activities and now they're like, I think we're just going to choose one, you know, and maybe that is a healthier balance, um, you know, because I know that there's a lot of research has talked to how, not, not, you know, parenting has evolved over the years and generations and kids are doing so many different things and we're, we've really accelerated the learning process for them. And so, so there, and so again, like the, the you know, time will tell what, what we'll be allowed to do and how quickly we'll be able to get back to some of the things we've done. On the other hand, maybe we'll put together, put our lives back together in a more manageable way for some people that felt overworked or for kids that felt overworked. Um, so there's a lot of possibility there. <laughs> and over scheduling, maybe we get rid of some of that, but hoping we'll be able to be in, in physical contact with each other the way that we used to be, but maybe in a more health driven way where people are more conscious of things like washing their hands, making sure that they don't sneeze broadly. I mean, the whole thing about doing the vampire sneeze into your, into your shoulder, all of that, that we saw during various flu campaigns, but now this has taken on uh, a much more sober meaning as we're applying a lot of this to COVID and maybe that will help us be a healthier society in general, uh, both mentally and certainly physically. In the families that you're talking with, um, are you seeing that there's a difference between the way boys and girls are feeling about the pandemic and, and the way in which that they are able to deal with its effects? In terms of boys and girls, I would say, you know, it really, I think it depends on the age of the children, uh, and what kind of activities they were in before. Like I have some kids that are loving the online school and, and kind of like enjoy taking the break from, you know, being in, in school in person because just from the social, taking a break from the social aspect a little bit. Uh, so I, I think, I don't, I haven't really noticed a distinct difference between boys and girls, but definitely what I what I have noticed is if, if a family has multiple children in the home around the same age, they seem to be coping a little better with the isolation because they have playmates and kids who are alone in their age group tend to feel a little bit more isolated. So I would say it breaks down more by age and, and stage and temperament of the child and what the family resources are at home as well. So, so what, what about some of the, the pressures that so many kids feel uh, not just you know peer pressure, but some of the really more uh, detrimental parts of that that involve bullying both online and in the physical space of a school. They might not be getting the kind of 
incredible teasing that they might have if they were in the same physical space, but that doesn't stop the online part of that. Uh, have you been seeing any of that ramp up or, or change in some way because of the pandemic, people becoming a little bit more understanding or compassionate, and is that extending to children? Um, well, what I, what I have noticed is that, the, at least in the field of psychology and parenting, there has been a lot of focus on, um, you know, before this, there was limit screen time, limit screen time, right? I mean, in that, you know, we we're only supposed to have so much, and now they're on, 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 uh, on devices all day long. And then the only, not the only, but one of the main opportunities for socializing is online. So what 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 what's being said about that is um, that screen time itself is not bad. It's a wonderful tool, but we do need to, as parents, I think, need to prepare kids for are they emotionally ready to handle the pros and cons that come with screen time, which is that people are more willing to say hurtful things when it's not face to face. Um, in terms of whether or not I think an uptick of bullying via social media, I have not necessarily observed that, but I think it's something that parents should be mindful of because we don't really know how this is gonna change the, the face of how kids are socializing with each other. I have found that kids are really eager to engage with each other, whether it's through you know, the various apps where they play games to, with each other. And, and maybe, maybe if anything, I feel like kids have been really supportive of each other knowing that they're going through this together and it's their only opportunity to be with one another. When kids are around their parents, and especially because we've just come through a highly contentious election that is still contentious in the way that we make transition, they absorb some of what their families are talking about and what they're hearing as well. And, and hearing all of this swirl uh, of, of hatred in, in many cases or hearing things on the news or other people talking, has that been affecting the families that you're seeing as well? And, and what would you advise parents to do as we're still in a, in a very tenuous position going forward? Uh, I think everybody is under a tremendous uh, amount of stress given the pandemic, given the very difficult election with very polarized views. Uh, I, I feel like everybody felt that on some level, regardless of party lines. Uh, and so what, what I'm really encouraging parents to do is to take care of themselves. Um, you know, as we talked about earlier, how we, how parents model strength and resilience will affect our children. And it also gives them hope that, oh yeah, we can get through this together. Uh, but, and, and so it's going to be very important for us parents that we do practice self-care and maybe that is limiting screen time. Maybe it's, it's not checking the news all the time, whatever that might be, but constantly kind of checking in with ourselves to know uh, how we're doing because how we're doing will directly impact our children uh, and how we can be available to them. So, you know, things like physical exercise are going to be really important. Uh, and again, the social aspect, um, Dan Siegel says, we should change the term from uh, uh, social distancing to physical distancing. And I love that because that's so true. We do still need to socialize. We just can't do it within close proximity of each other right now. So, you know, as, as we encourage our kids to do Zoom parties and or whatever, you know, maybe we need to be doing those for ourselves. That's not just meeting based and things like that. But again, being creative about how we're gonna get through this long-term. I'm just thinking about the fact that last night we had our book club over Zoom 
And we've been doing that continually and that's been a bright spot and, and we all need those bright spots. But also I think as you talk about modeling, um, being very concerned about what comes out of our mouths when we're around kids. It's so easy to spout off when you're driving and somebody does something ridiculous or you hear something on the radio and people talk back to the radio and then suddenly remember, oh, the kids are in the car. And I just said something that I really wouldn't want my child to. <laughs> um, it, it's gotten a little bit more tough for people to be that mindful, especially when they've been rubbed raw by so much of what the pandemic has brought and not having some of those outlets that used to make them um, in some ways a little bit more calm and mindful when they were around kids, picking them up from school or just going places with them in the car. So how do we deal with some of those impacts as well? I, well, I think it's, yeah, and I, what you're talking about is so profound because one, we're together all the time with our kids, right? You know, we have much, we have much more time together. And the other part of it is we're processing it too. The adults are processing this too. So we may need to talk about it, you know, and we, and, and so it is, it is, and with the kids home all the time, it is harder to have those kinds of conversations where they're not in earshot and they're curious too. So they're, you know, I find my own, my own daughter is like trying to listen because she's trying to understand too. So that being said, um, you know, I think it's okay to talk about these things openly, but it's also okay if you if you don't if you're not processing something well um, or you have a bad day or you say something you regret it's okay to go back and address it with your kids and say you know I was just having a really hard moment and you know actually you know now that I think about it I, th I think about it this way you know or maybe I should look at it this way that's much more helpful and again that can be modeling so it's not just we are not you know it's impossible to constantly be there a hundred percent of the time the way our kids need us to be. And what's the most important thing is the repair. And is it's always okay to go back and apologize to your kids. In fact, I think kids love that when parents go back and say, you know what, I didn't handle myself well, you know, but this is what I learned and have a conversation. And, and not only does the kid feel validated, you're also modeling for them that it's okay to make mistakes, but it's also important to take responsibility for your mistakes and learn from your mistakes. And so, so again, I don't think we need to be perfect in this because again, it's just such an emotional time for everybody and, and we're getting bombarded with news. So we don't, we can't always control how we feel in a given moment, but we can model for our kids healthy ways of dealing with it. And in that, giving them lessons for life because mistakes are inherent in living. Mm -hmm. And in many cases, people are gonna hear no more than yes as you go through life and knowing how to be able to develop your own sense of not just resilience and responding to that, but being able to process that, process that and, and our own behavior with other people as, as we go through our lives, that these lessons that I think a lot of kids are learning now will set them up really well, particularly when parents are, are that vulnerable in going back to their children and saying what they've done and why they think it wasn't a good idea and how it might have been handled better or even just asking the question how do you think I might have handled that better and then you're opening a whole other conversation right sure. um, although I will tell you that sometimes um, I've had friends tell me that coping with all of this that sometimes first they have to go into the bathroom turn on the shower and just have a good cry oh absolutely absolutely when we talk about kids as we've been talking about them for a little while now 
Um, most of the kids that we've been thinking about are the kids who are in intact families, um, kids who have the kind of support system that we wish that all kids have. But the truth is that not all kids have them. And we've got a lot of kids who are in, in risky situations, who may be in foster homes, good ones or not so good ones, or who may be around families where uh, or parts of families where that kind of support that we wish for every child isn't happening. How are you looking at that as you're you know, seeing how we are moving through this in Hawaii, where we have some very different ways of being than if we were living on the mainland perhaps? And how is it that you would advise other parents to be mindful of that too, in understanding that not all families are gonna look like theirs? Mm-hmm. How do right. we support? Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, no, and I think it's important to, you know, kind of like how we talked about how I, uh, with Halloween, how so many families try to, you know, work as a neighbor, neighborhood or community to make things okay for kids, you know, and, and try to create ways of, you know, m- making it still memorable for them and meaningful. Um, that being said, you know, if we're aware of kids in our community or neighborhood or schools that need a little support, being that, uh, being that caring adult can be really important for them and um, just reaching out. And, and it is difficult. Like you mentioned, kids in foster care, some of them are not having visits with families right now. Um, I know the Department of Human Services is working really hard to make sure that visits are maintained, but it's very difficult for some of the, depending on the, the family situation, whether it's supervised by DHS or if it's supervised by the resource caregivers, you know, it really just varies um, situation by situation. So I think a lot of kids have not seen caregivers just, I mean, they're, excuse me, their birth families um, during this time, even though they're trying to get that back to a regular schedule, but that is important. Maintaining family connections is really important. And um, having for these kids to have supports, especially when school's not in session, that puts these kids even doubly at risk because they're not um, having the social contact and being in that environment where they feel like it's a safe place for them to be. If they don't have that, they are, they are um, in a difficult time. But I, you know, in my, my, I do work with some kids in foster care and I feel DHS has been very, very mindful of that and have been trying to be supportive of these kids to make things as normal as possible. And, and truly not having eyes on those kids because school is not physically is also difficult for you know, kids who are in situations where there's domestic violence at home or where the child may be homeless or the family may be homeless, that there are things that just go unnoticed and unknown because there aren't those eyes on them. But as a community, what I'm hearing you say is that we can also be those eyes and that in our own, you know, micro to be able to take notice of, of what's happening and that we can all be there for a child if we put ourselves out there to, to be able to recognize that, that child and make sure the child knows that he or she is seen in some way, not just walk on by. Right, absolutely, absolutely, right. As we come into the holiday season, it also brings with it so many expectations of, of peace and joy and a better world and all the things that we say to each other every single year and this year, perhaps more especially because of the fact that we're dealing with a global pandemic. But there's also a downside to, to all of that for families who don't get to experience the kind of you know, Christmas movie holiday season. 
And I'm wondering if this year you're seeing more movement toward uh, reaching out in our communities and to some of the, the kids and, and families that you're talking to where they're talking about wanting to do more for their community this year because it is more difficult. And, and because there's always you know, that, that sense of, of loss and, and, and grieving when families don't necessarily have that picture perfect Christmas. And we know that people become more depressed and there are sometimes you know, more attempts at suicide both with adults and, and kids and you know, visits to the ER, all of that, and we already know that this is escalating. How, how concerned are you with all of this when you talk to your families and are they talking to you about these things too? It, well, you know, I, I think that it's gonna be very important for people to be creative and come up with some way to make it meaningful and involving, making the holidays meaningful and involving our kids in that conversation so that they can decide um, have some say in, in what what to do to make the holidays still meaningful because it, it like you said it is a stressful time for people regardless and then to lose you know some of the traditions that maybe we you know families have done forever like a big holiday dinner or whatever it might be you know that's going to look a lot different this year so uh, making it making a very intentional effort to come up with different ways of celebrating you know, maybe saying we can't do this, but we're gonna, but we can do these things, you know, or modify things like, you know, again, people have been driving by and drop, you know, visiting grandma in the yard instead of going inside, but those things can still happen. So I do think that it, I haven't necessarily seen the impact yet. Um, I think Thanksgiving and Christmas tend to be very tradition heavy holidays. So it's, you know, I think it is going to be a very difficult time for people. And, and I certainly think that, you know, like you said, you know, giving back to the community can be a way of healing and can add meaning for people like a sense of purpose, you know, in a very difficult time. So that could definitely be a part of the conversation for families is adding in some component of, well, what can we do to give back to children that maybe don't have all their families with them or whatever it might be, you know, donating food to the food bank or whatever it might be. But there, there are lots of different opportunities to give and, and that can be tremendously powerful for children and adults as well in terms of, of healing and things like that. And the joy that giving to others can bring in a very different way from some of this, the traditions that we may love very much, but don't necessarily have that same outreach component. And yet some of the outreach that I know some families have done over the holidays, being able to help out at a community kitchen, being able to serve meals, all of that, that families are pulling back from that because they also don't want to put their kids yeah. in danger. So the, the duality of wanting to do for your community and at the same time, feeling a little bit of fear in that is also adding to the stress of all this. So I, I hear you underline the word creativity many, many times in, in our conversation. Is there anything else that you think that we should be talking about as we're looking at kids and the holidays and coming into the you know, next year with all the expectations of uh, a potential vaccine, which may not get to everybody until you know quite... Uh, into next year, mid next year, or perhaps even later. Uh, other things that you're hearing from your families that you think the rest of us really ought to know about? Um, in terms of, um, the of how we 
and, and of the holidays and how we go forward after that. So it's not just a hard stop at the end of the holidays, but looking at how it's maybe a little bit more fluid in many ways this year, as we already know, but to be able to reframe how we, we move into this new year and what that might mean. Right. Absolutely. And I think, um, you know, this does, this is a time where kids are um, having to learn that, you know, you can't always plan everything. And this is just an unprecedented time for all of us, you know, um, we've never lived through something like this. So um, just helping kids to know to be flexible and, um, and, and I, and I think communication is just so key right now because, um, you know, we just have to be willing to listen to our kids to know what's bothering them and, and then, you know, and then just have an open conversation about how you're going to adjust, how you're going to deal with the next thing that comes, because we don't know what that thing is, you know, it's just, it's, it's not really up to us and we don't know when, what the information is going to come out or when there's going to be an outbreak, you know, and so just helping kids understand that the, you know, the adults around them will support them, um, are strong enough to support them and, and, and get through, through everything. So great sensitivity to the uncertainty is what I hear you say. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. And willing to talk that over with our kids and, and to be really okay with, I don't know, you know, so many, I think we have to, or, or many of us feel that we need to have all the answers when mm -hmm. a child, we don't want to lose our, our cherished spot as being, you know, the, the answer go-to person. But the reality of it is that the best thing we can do is teach them how to find the good answers and how to be okay with some of the uncertainty of not finding them and hope that that will set them off on a different journey, but one where they'll feel empowered to Absolutely. do their lives. And I, and I know for kids too, it can be, I, I mean, we can't make promises we can't keep, but at the same time, when kids hear it's not going to be like this forever, you know, which I do feel pretty confident that it's not going to be this way forever, that hearing that can be very helpful for them. It just gives them something to look forward to knowing that they, you know, at some point things will get to a better place, you know, and, and that can just instill hope. And that's very important also something to look forward to. So, so again, again, we talked about creativity. That's where it becomes helpful because it's kind of exciting to be able to think about things. You know, maybe we have these traditions, but we can build new ones and things, new things to try and um, new things to do together, different activities. I think it, families are spending a lot more time together, which is, which is really a wonderful thing. So. Yeah, there may not be a whole lot of silver linings in this whole experience, but the fact that families are more intimately connected because they are under the same roof for, in some cases, you know, so many, many, many months on end that many families are being able to learn how each other thinks and approaches the world a little differently. And, and that can be very helpful too later on. Not great for all families, clearly, if there are not such hot things happening in the families where, you know, there's potential domestic violence that we're not saying that this is good for everybody, but for a lot of families who are spending time together, even families where there was some difficulty. I'm also hearing from a therapist who are saying that because of the extended time together, they are figuring things out a little bit differently than they had before when they were you know, all running in their parallel 
uh, you know, lanes and then coming back for very limited time together at the end of the day or on a weekend and so many incredibly scheduled activities during a weekend. So that's, that's one of the better silver linings that people are, are in fact maybe figuring each other out a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a slower pace of life. So while, while we're, I think kids are getting really lonely, at the same time, they aren't having the intense social interactions that at school where, you know, that one kid passing by, you know, says the mean thing or whatever, they're not having that. So kids in general, they're lonely, but they're not, I feel like, like you, you talked about build bullying earlier. Um, I think people not right now, kids are able to pick and choose who they socialize with. So it's um, instead of sitting with that one kid next to you, that's constantly kicking your chair, you know, they're not having that kind of, um, that, that kind of stress, but and, and being able to pick and choose who you socialize with, you know, generally, I think kids are making good choices about socializing with their friends and people that are supportive. So that's a really great thing. But we just need to, we're going to need to kind of up that, I think, for kids. Like the, the, their, the level of socialization, somehow we need to find ways for them to do that more. You know, it's not quite enough. And physical activity has also gone down quite a bit, I think, for most kids. So finding a way to improve um, physical activity. Maybe it's even families like starting to go for a walk together after dinner or whatever it might be, because I think those are the two things um, that are really having an impact on kids as far as mental health goes, is just not being able to do the things that they normally did to support their mental health, like socializing, physical activity, um, engaging in the world and and all over the place and so it's 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 kind of taking a longer <laughs> a toll uh, over time as it continues before we finish i wanted to ask you about social media because for so many kids that is just the bedrock of their lives and in many cases for how they build their identities or how they shape the identities of other people have you found in your practice that families and kids are, are looking at social media differently now, and not just because of the fact that, you know, they're on screens in so many ways for so many reasons that maybe one more thing to check isn't as appealing, but that they're actually changing how they're feeling about social media? I, I think it's probably more on the side of parents where now they're having to you know, you know, like I said earlier, before it was like limit, limit screen time. And now it's like, well, that's out the window, right? So families are having to adjust to that in terms of just allow it and knowing that it's the only avenue for social media that the, the kids have. So again, it just comes down to, uh, I think parents are going to need to really continue to check in with their kids about how it's going, giving them tools to navigate um, that people tend to say meaner things when it's not face-to-face -face and preparing kids for that and letting them know if something's not working, please come back to me. But I, I, and I feel like for family parents too, like I know everyone's gotten much more comfortable with doing zoom meetings and, and telehealth and everything and finding it's okay. You know, it's not, I mean, it's not as good as being in person with someone, but um, it is very helpful you know, it's been, it's gotten us through this very difficult time. So I do feel like attitudes around it are loosening um, and, and finding out like, wow, this could be a really valuable tool for us, you know, like instead of rushing to a, a meeting, you know, being able to do it at home quickly, you know, can, there's a benefit to that also. Coco, we'll have to cut you for a second because something's in my throat. <laughs> I'm so sorry. No, are okay. you okay? 
Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, are you okay? I'll be right back. Okay. No. Oh. Oh. I hate that. That t that thing in your throat. Ugh. Right back. I'm sorry, that's never happened before. I felt like I inhaled something and it just got caught right in the back oh, of my no, throat. Oh no, I hate that. <laughs> that's like the, the, what is it? Um, there's a nerve back at the end of the throat and it makes the, the gag reflex happen. Oh no, and are you okay? It, there was something right there. No, I think it's okay now. Thank you, thank you so much. So Coco, thank you for dropping a marker here. Anyway, um, I just want to wrap up with you because I promised you that we'd only keep you about an no, hour. Okay, take your time. I know we started a little late, so yeah. <laughs> thank you, thank you so much for that. So I hear you bring up a lot of the issues that all of us can relate to being very sensitive to where our kids are, being open to having conversations with them. If you make a mistake, then to be able to talk to your kids about it and in doing that, modeling some better behavior for them too as they go into their lives. And, and just being very sensitive to ourselves as we're coping with all this because this is happening for everybody. We're all in the same soup, but what is happening in various communities and, and your own neighborhood to also maintain an eye toward that too, because we don't know what child we might be able to positively influence and what may be happening in that child's life. So maybe this sense of community connection is also uh, one of the silver linings that we'll get to experience along with the slower pace of life and some better and more interconnected family life too. So uh, you know, trying to put a hopeful spin on some of this yet as we're watching so many horrific thing happen, things happen across the country and, and around the world. It's, it's going to be a balancing act of, of how we, we deal with that. I would imagine that, you know, especially for, for little kids hearing so much. And I'm really grateful for a lot of the tips and, and the insight that you've given us today. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. And thank you all for joining me for this conversation of From Anxiety to Clarity with licensed clinical social worker, Karen Watanabe Choi, who specializes in families and kids. And we will be back with you next week for another conversation. And if you have a suggestion for one, please let me know. My email is K-O-Z-L-O-V-B, B at SutterHealth.org. And I'd love to hear your suggestions for another conversation from anxiety to clarity. I'm Beth Ann Koslovich. We'll see you next time. Aloha.